0: So as we've been going through the Bible, we've been moving through the New Testament now, and we're in the book of 1 Corinthians. And what we've tried to do with the sermons is have them fall within the pattern of where you're reading. So you should be in Corinthians reading now, and so that's why we're talking about 1 Corinthians. Uh, So so we want to look at 1 Corinthians. I want to just give you a little background to the book of Corinth and... The church at Corinth, and uh, so you can understand that a little bit. And then we're going to just focus on one chapter and draw some application for today. So, let me give you a little historical background for, for the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth was, uh, it's in the middle of Greece, modern day Greece. It was a commercial center. It was a really, it was a major trade route. It was, I mean, think of it as the ancient Panama Canal. It was like a four-mile strip where they would literally move cargo across the land so that ships on one side could pass the cargo to others. It was basically a way of, uh, it was a major trade route. So it brought a lot of commerce. It brought a lot of people. It brought a uh, a lot of things. Now, before Corinth became this very, uh, commercial, very a uh, lot of tr- a transient population. And before that, it was really leveled. Um, and for 100 years, from 146 B.C., for about 100 years, it was leveled. There was nobody there. And then all of a sudden, it, it, it grew explosively. There was an explosive growth. And it, it grew to be densely populated, and it had hundreds of thousands of people. So that meant there was no native population. There was no... No, there was really no tradition. Everybody that came there was rather new. There, were, there weren't a lot of roots there. And it became a, a city where people who basically wanted to start out new or start over or try something new would go there. Uh, so it was one of those type of a cities. Uh, secondly, it was morally challenged. They had a phrase in Corinth. And they said, uh, when you went there, that you would become Corinthianized. And what that meant was that you'd live in utter depravity because it was a very depraved city. There was a lot of uh, sexual perversion and a lot of, uh, just a lot of uh, uh, crime and a lot of different things taking place. On the surra- One of the surrounding mountains was the Temple of Aphrodites and there were temple prostitutes. You literally worshipped by having sex with the temple prostitutes. So it was a, a city that was challenged in, in the area of sexual purity. It was you would think it was one of the last places on the earth if you were going to go plant a church, you say, Well, let's go plant a church there. You go, Why would you want to go there? You know. Uh, but you know, the interesting thing is Paul says something really kind of amazing in First Corinthians. And, and and that's the first passage I want to look at is First Corinthians chapter six. Paul says this, and I think this passage is really so instructive of the whole book of, of Corinthians. He says this verse uh, 9 of chapter 6. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abuse, abusive, or cheat people, None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what's interesting here in this list is it's not all exclusive, uh, inclusive. It's not saying these are all the things. This is just listing kind of the highlights. And the interesting thing is he's not grading them according to this one's really bad and this, oh, this is horrible. He's just saying basically, this is some of the sin that's going on. And he says this. This is such a key phrase in verse 11 because he's describing, he's talking to the church. And he says to them, some of you, were once like that. That phrase you ought to underline. Because what Paul is saying there is, in this church, there were people who practiced that on a daily basis, those sins on a daily basis. They used to be like that, but they're not anymore. And he's saying they've been transformed. Well, how? He says this. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And that's so important because he said there was a beginning point where you called upon the Lord. And then there's this transformation that's going on in your life. It's a continual transformation which is done by the Spirit of God. So Paul basically writes this church and says, you're living in a culture where all this stuff is going on. In fact, you were doing it, but not anymore. Because you gave your life to Jesus and because the Spirit of God is transforming you and you're different people today. And we could stop the service right now and we could say, tell me about your life BC, before Jesus, and tell me your life after Christ. And you would say, there's a big difference. My life is different now because... I used to be like that, but not anymore. So th- that's a little bit about the church. It's spiritually challenged. Uh, it was a young church, but it was very gifted. It had really big ups, <laughs> as we'll see, but it was really challenged. It had big big downs. Now, uh, a couple key passages. First Corinthians 10, uh, or one ten through 17, Paul basically talks about a lot of division within a church. I'm of a Paul, I'm of a Paulus. Um, You know, it's like our modern day, I'm of MacArthur, I'm of, I don't know, you can pick your favorite preacher and be of him, whatever you want. But uh, there was all these divisions, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul instructs on this idea of how do we live in this culture that's got sexual perversion and sexual sin all around us? How do we deal with that? Well, he, just, he talks about that in chapter 11. He gives instruction for the worship service. How should we conduct ourselves within the worship service? And basically he says there needs to be order. He gives specific instruction on the Lord's table. Uh, in, in 11 in uh, chapters 12 through 14 he talks about the idea of spiritual gifts We're going to look a little bit into that this morning But he talks about how we how the spiritual gifts are to be used and exercised within the church And then obviously in uh, first corinthians 15 He talks about the resurrection where he talks about what the gospel is And then he describes the resurrection and how important the resurrection is just to give you a quick outline of the book uh, you, you have the beginning of it talks about the cross the end of it talks about the resurrection and uh, in between you have a couple of major sections one is how do men and women how are they to, re- to relate to one another in, in the human family and how are they re- to relate to each other in the church family within the church and then he talks about uh, christians and how we as christians live in a pagan society in the in a world that kind of is going counter to to god and how do we how do we live in the world but not of the world so he describes that. He describes how do we live in this culture and not become like it? You know, how do we do that? How do we, how do we hold that balance? What does that balance look like? So, so that's kind of all that, that Paul talks about in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, we usually read this chapter that we're going to look at this weekend. We usually read this at weddings. In fact, that's where you generally hear it. It's 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, I want to read it to you right now. But I want you to hear it. When I when I when I finish I want you to hear it and hear what Paul is saying in the context of the book Because it's very important and this is what Paul writes 1 Corinthians 13 If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels But didn't love others I would be only I would only be a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in, an unknown, in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless But love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only a part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now, we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then... We will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Now, this, this is a passage we generally will read, or at least a portion of it during weddings. <laughs> and we take this as an inspirational passage, and it is. But Paul writes this as a rebuke. This is written by Paul in the middle of a letter where he is calling them to task and taking them to task, and he's saying, here's what's missing. You don't love one another. You may have incredible spiritual gifts, but you do not have love. And he's rebuking them. Essentially, this chapter is a rebuke to the church at Corinth. Because they're not loving each other. So I want to make two points about the the truth about spiritual gifts because in chapters 12 through 14, he's describing spiritual gifts. And he says really two things that we could draw from this chapter about spiritual gifts. The first one is this. You can have spiritual gifts and still not be a Christian. Now that might sound incredibly wrong, but listen to it. Paul basically says that you could speak in tongues, you can have special knowledge, you can have incredible faith, you can give so sacrificially to the poor, you can do all of that. And he says, and you can be nothing if you lack love. You know, he's not saying, he's not simply saying you can be immature, he's going much further than that. He's saying it's possible to do all of these miraculous, these. Big miracles before people, and and you could still be lost. Now, you, the question is, he says, "You, you, I, I would be nothing." And now, 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 are there examples of this scripture? Can can we find other examples where this is true? Well, there's a number of examples in the Old Testament. We won't go there, but let's go to the New Testament of a couple of examples. In this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. Now, this is I've I pointed this out before, and this is one of the most disturbing passages in the Scripture that I've ever read. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Notice what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he says, on that day, many will come to me and uh, uh, will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, here's a perfect example of people who are performing miracles that I've never performed in my life. And that's Paul's point. You can have miraculous manifestations of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, and still not have the Holy Spirit in your life. Let me give you another example. Uh, In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, it says this, Jesus called to Him His twelve disciples, and He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now He goes on, He sends them out, and they perform all these miraculous signs. They heal people, they cast out demons, they, they do all these miraculous signs. And, 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 and then it says this, that these twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, either uh, no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. And they do that. Now who is one of those disciples? Judas. Let's be honest, we're looking in retrospect at Judas, and we say, oh, he was a rat, he was a betrayer, he was, he was, he, he was plotting. And certainly we, we understand that from Scripture, but understand from the disciples' perspective, they never suspected Judas at all. He was honored, he, he was one of the most honored among the disciples. He took care of the money. And uh he was like one of the last ones they expected that would be a betrayer, in fact, they asked around, "Is it me, Lord? is it me? is it me and And, and so Judas goes out there and he wasn't <laughs> he probably performed most of the miracles and cast out demons, and he still was lost. Jonathan Edwards says this Jonathan Edwards was a pastor and a theologian many years ago, and he said this. Many bad men have had spiritual gifts. It is possible to have gifts of the Spirit, but not a special saving work of the Spirit in the heart. Now that should bother you and it should trouble you. Because we would look at people and say, look, they speak in tongues. Look, they prophesy. Look, they cast out demons. Look, they heal the sick. They must be really not just a Christian, but so close to God. And yet what, what Paul is saying here is, There is a motive behind many of these things. And Paul basically says, you can do all the right things and have the wrong motive. You can do all the right things and not have love. And you are nothing. You are nothing. Now here's the second thing he says, and this is really maybe more in our wheelhouse this morning. He says this, you can have spiritual gifts... The manifestations of the Spirit. Speaking in tongues, healing, casting out demons, doing all the prof- prophecy, having faith, you know, all these different things. Doing good works, all these incredible things, and still not have the fruit of the Spirit. Notice Paul says you can have the gifts of the Spirit, use them without the fruit of the Spirit. You can heal, speak in tongues. You can have faith that moves mountains and still not have The fruit of the Spirit. So this raises a couple of questions, or at least it should. The first question is, and some of you would know this, but uh, what is the fruit of the Spirit? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Paul tells us in Galatians. And this might be a good verse to memorize, to mark down in your Bible and say, this is a verse that I ought to memorize. Because Paul basically says, when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, in fact, Ephesians, he says this. He talks about this right before he talks about uh, the relationship between a man and a woman in marriage where he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ led the church and gave himself for her. But before that, he says, he says, do not be controlled or under the influence of wine, but be controlled or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you were driving and you got pulled over and you had had too many drinks, uh, the officer would ask you to maybe say a phrase, and if you stumbled or, you know, Messed it up. He would say, okay, now we need you to walk straight line. And he kind of bumbled around. And he'd say, okay, we're going to have you take a blow on this thing and give take a test. And you you blew over the legal limit. And uh, they would you would get a ticket. And then your ticket would be DUI. What does DUI mean? It means you're driving under the influence. And, and what do they mean by that? They mean that you are intoxicated. You are under the control of of whatever you drank, so that your judgment is impaired, that your reflexes are impaired, that your, your sight is impaired, that, that, that it's, it's, you're under the influence so that you're not a very good driver. You may think you are, but you're deluded. And Paul basically says, in the same way that you can be under the influence of alcohol or wine or whatever you're, you're drinking, and it can, have a, it can have a negative or detrimental effect on you, in the same way you can be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and what, what will that mean? What will that show? Well, he says that in Galatians 5, verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. Joy. Joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Now, if you begin to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in your marriage, your wife might say to you, Are you drunk? <laughs> What 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 is going on with you? Are you under the influence of something? You say, Yeah, I'm under the influence of the Spirit because I could not do this on my own. It has to be the Spirit. Now, Paul, we you can look at this fruit of the Spirit and you say, Oh no, no, another list of trying harder. I've got to be patient now and I've got to have joy. And how do I balance all these things? No, 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 you don't get it. Paul isn't giving you a list and saying you need to try harder. He's not saying you need to love more, you need to be more patient, you need to be more kind, you need to demonstrate more self-control, and by the way, as you leave the parking lot, please demonstrate self-control, kindness, and gentleness, and love. No, no, you're going to have more time to do it, too. There won't be a rush. That's why we change the times of services. But the point I want you to see is this. What he's saying is this isn't something that you do. It's something the Spirit of God does in you. That's what he's saying. Paul is saying that without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be able to do this. So I ask you a question. In the last week, in the last month, in the last year, have you detected, have you seen, have you experienced the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life so that now you are giving out the fruit of the Spirit on a regular basis? Now, there's two things that can stop us from doing that. There's, the Bible tells us there's two things. See, here's what it is. This, when the Spirit is alive and active in our... In the Bible says this, that we call, when we call upon the Lord, we receive His Spirit. His Spirit takes, begins to dwell in us. We become the temple of God. There's God, the Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And we begin to give out we begin to be under the influence of the holy spirit when we're under the influence of the holy spirit the fruit of the spirit naturally comes out we respond differently to things we, we instead of responding with an anger we respond we respond in patience and instead of 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 being harsh we become gentle and and we we say well i don't know where that came from well it came from the holy spirit but what can stop that is we can sin and when we sin we grieve or we quench and i think they generally mean the same thing we stop the power and the presence we don't you know the holy spirit remains in us but he he remains powerless in us so if you have sin in your life if you say well i just have a little bit of sin in my life well then the holy spirit is just a little bit really powerless in your life and so Maybe the first step, maybe the one thing that you'll take away this weekend is this. I have the Spirit of God in my life, but He's not being manifest in my life. Because I have sin in my life that I'm not willing to confess and I'm not willing to make right with God. The Bible says if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it may be that the, 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 what, the, what you'll do is you'll leave today and say, I need to have... A moment, I mean to have a time, I mean to have a a, a period of time where I sit down with God and I get right with Him. And I ask Him to forgive me. And maybe I need to go to other people and ask them to forgive me so that the power of the Holy Spirit begins to to manifest in my life. And so the fruit of the Spirit begins to show up in my life. Um, That's kind of what Paul's saying. Paul's saying you can have all these incredible sign gifts and not have love. Not have the fruit of the Spirit. And frankly, you you missed out on everything if you've done that. Well, well, how do we know when we have the fruit of the Spirit? Let me give you three quick tests and we'll close with these. Paul basically gives us a gauge in chapter 13. He says, if you want to know if you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, if you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, it's not the sign gifts. We always say, well, they have the sign gifts, they must have the Holy Spirit. They might but they might not, as we saw in point one. What he's saying is the sign, the real sign is love. Love. Well, let, let's talk, let's, let's flesh that out a little bit. What does that mean? Let's talk about how love affects knowledge. Paul basically says in, in chapter 8, uh, in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, he says, knowledge puffs up. Now, I, I have known people, and maybe you have too, who know the Bible from cover to cover. They know theology. I mean, they know it better than I do. They, 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 could, they could quote Scripture. They've been a student of the Word for many, many years. And they are some of the meanest, coldest, harshest, most judgmental people that you could ever meet. And Paul basically says, knowledge can do that. Now, is knowledge a bad thing? No, absolutely not. Knowledge is a tool. Knowledge of the Word of God is a very important thing, and we, we need to grow in our knowledge. But we need to grow in our knowledge in a sense of... And that's why I'm telling you that... And I, and I know you're, you're getting good, tired of me. I'm like a nagging mother, okay? My mother can't nag me anymore. but But the bottom line is... There are some things she nagged me about that were really important. And I'm nagging you and telling you you need to be in the Word of God and reflect upon it daily because it's not just to gain knowledge, statistics, and get to know this story and this name. Those are, that's part of it. It's to allow the Word of God to speak to your heart. It's to say, God, what is going on in my heart today? James says it's like a mirror. It shows you your heart. And... and, and what has happened is many people have, have, have said gaining knowledge is the same as is the bottom line and the most important thing, that I gain more knowledge. And some of you, like, you feel like you're, you're morons as far as knowledge of the Bible, and you feel bad about that. Listen, I've met people who aren't very intelligent knowing the Scriptures, but they have a display of the, the, the uh, fruit of the Spirit in their lives. They're broken by God's word, and I'll tell you what. I think they're much closer to godliness than somebody who knows all about the Bible. Basically, what Paul says is, you may be very knowledgeable, but what that tends to do, what it can do, is it can make you proud. You can say, "Look at I know this. I knew all this knowledge, and they don't know anything." And so I must really. I mean, wasn't that the Pharisees' problem? They had all the knowledge. And then here's the Savior right before their eyes. And they miss him. And Jesus says, well, I've revealed myself to the simple." <laughs> so knowledge can puff up. It can, it can make you judgmental. But when the Word of God is breaking your heart on a daily basis, when you're meditating and it's breaking your heart, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make you proud. It helps you to see who you are, as James says. And James says, don't forget what you just saw in the mirror of the Word of God. Has it revealed your heart? Let it break you. Let it mold you. Let it shape you. Let it correct you. Let it bring you to your knees. Let it it bring you to to awe when you see the gospel and what Jesus has done for you. Allow the knowledge of God. Allow the love to grow in your heart. How about perversion? Paul described uh, in 1 Corinthians 7 very Uh, There there were problems within the Corinthian church. There was sexual sin. There was uh, a lot Listen, here's what's going on in the in the Corinthian church and it's kind of like the church in in America uh, The society had not only uh, been they not not only had the church been part of uh, in in the society but the society become part of the church And so in the church, there was sexual perversion. And Paul corrected them and wrote them and and rebuked them for some of the behavior that was going on. And Paul basically says, if you have a proper view of love, if you have the fruit of the Spirit and you understand what love is, you'll begin to treat people with dignity and respect. You'll begin to say, God, this this is your design for a relationship between a man and a woman. And sex outside of marriage, any kind of sex outside of marriage, whether it's premarital sex or um, homosexual sex, whatever it is, is, is wrong. It's is not love. And, and so Paul basically says that uh, there may be this sexual revolution going on in society, but let it not be so with you. Such were some of you, but not anymore because the word of god and the spirit of god are transforming you and are changing you and and you view love different you see paul basically is saying that when we begin to walk in step with the spirit and and we allow this fruit of the spirit we we walk we're going to walk counter to our culture and and you know listen there is there is a if you want to see what countered our culture, there's, I, I think if you were to do a survey of 16-year-olds through 30 and say, is living together or having sex outside of marriage a bad thing, I think you would say the vast majority. If it's not over 60%, I'll be shocked. would say, oh, no, it's absolutely okay. <clears throat> I think if you did it with Christian people that age, I think you would probably find it's not much different. If maybe not if it's not in 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 voting it it certainly isn't in practice Surveys kind of show that my point is this we're so much like our culture And paul basically says when you understand love when you allow the holy spirit to work in your life When you allow the word of god to mold you and make you you you're going to go counter to your culture It will happen See, Paul isn't saying, here's a list I want you to follow. Um, he's saying that when the Holy Spirit comes in your life and you allow him to control you, it's going to change the way you relate to others. It's going to change the way you relate to your culture. It will change you supernaturally on the inside. Here's the last one, selfishness. Paul said in uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 24, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. The Corinthians, and there may, like many Americans, we look out for number one. We have that phrase, I'm looking out for number one. Uh, And uh, Paul calls them to consider the needs of others Paul is saying in chapter 13. He's not saying love is something you do. It's something you are It's something you are It's who you are We live in a world that encourages us to seek our own needs the Spirit of God directs us to look out to the needs of others He says love doesn't seek its own selfishness is is, is saying, I need to be my own master. I need to seek. I need to grab for myself. I need to watch out for me. I need to take care of me. I don't need other people. I don't need anyone else. I can do it myself. Um, thank you. And, and I would just say to you, if that's your attitude, you'll never receive the grace. Of God because the grace of God only comes to needy people it only comes to people who say i'm lost i'm helpless i'm hopeless And I need a savior. I need a master. I I can't be the master I have to allow somebody else to come into my life and to be the master And and we talked a little bit about that last weekend paul basically is saying it's really a transforming thing He's saying when you understand love and you understand grace It will break you It will it will make you stop thinking about yourself, and it will start make you it will it will cause you to think of others. You will say, "I need God in my life. I need His grace. I can't be my own master. I have a sinful heart. I have a self-justifying heart. Um, I, I have a heart that doesn't want to submit to a master, but I must because life when when I direct my life is doesn't go very well." Paul says, "Love is different." Love always trusts, it endures, it perseveres, it never fails. It brings me to a place where that I see I owe other people. It brings me to a place where I see my neediness, where, where I see how much of a sacrifice Jesus makes me made for me. You know, love brings me to a place where I understand how much Jesus has done for me. When I look at the love of Jesus it, and, and His love and how it endures all things for us, and that's really where I want to close. When we reflect on his love, we find a new capacity to love ourselves and to love others. We love ourselves in the right way. We see ourselves as we should. And our biggest problem is we, we think too highly of ourselves or we think too lowly of ourselves. And what we need to do is think about how God thinks of us. And the gospel brings that into balance. We are absolutely sinners, lost and helpless and hopeless, and more sinful than we'd ever care to admit. But on the other side, we are more loved, more cared for, because the Son of God came and gave his life for us. And that's the balance that we have to hold. It doesn't make us proud because we see that we're sinners. We're lost and we're helpless. But it doesn't beat us. We don't beat ourselves down because we know that we're loved and we're valued by the Father. And so it gives us a balanced view of ourselves. And it, begin, it helps us to begin to look at other people and see their needs. And it gives us something that fills our lives so that we have something to give others. When we begin to see the loveliness of God, it humbles us. The cross powerfully shows us the love that God has for us. Paul says to the church at Corinth that you may have all the gifts. You may not even be a Christian. Paul says, you may have all the gifts, but if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. So I challenge you, have you allowed the Spirit? Have you called upon the Lord and received His Spirit? That's number one. And then number two, have you, if you have called upon the Lord and you have received His Spirit, can you say, I am walking in step with the Spirit of God? He is in control of my life. And the fruit of the Spirit is being manifested on a regular basis. By the way, let me just say this. You can be walking today. You can leave this place and walk in the Spirit of God. And in 15 minutes, you could be now quenching or or, 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 uh, stopping the power of the Spirit in your life when you sin. That's how mindful we have to be if we're going to allow the Spirit of God to direct us. Paul is not saying to us in chapter 13 today, try harder, do better, try to get these characteristics in your life. What he's saying to you is this. If you allow the Spirit of God to direct and control your life, the natural result, the spiritual result, the supernatural result that will take place isn't what you do on the outside speaking in tongues. It could be. It could be performing miracles. It could be prophecy. It could be, you know, faith. But the, but, but more importantly, what it could be is you will exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. You'll be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, that's what it's all about. Because if you have all the gifts and you don't have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you're not connected with God. If you're not connected with God, something is wrong. May God help us to walk in His Spirit and to display the fruit of the Spirit. May this church be a loving church, not because we try harder, but because the Holy Spirit has more and more influence We're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You'll know it when you see it. You'll say, that wasn't on me. I don't know why I responded that way. I would have responded much differently. And Paul says to them, such were some of you. But not anymore because you came to Christ. And because the power of the Spirit is working through you. May that be true of us. Would you stand with me and let's pray. And Father, we can't do this apart from your Spirit. We pray, Father, that we would not be a church that would manifest great things, but that we would show love. That uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, the influence of the Holy Spirit, would be very present among us as we treat and deal with each other and love each other. And only you can do that in us and through us, Father. And uh, if we're not a loving church, it just shows that we're not allowing your spirit to influence us. We all know, Father, what it is to be under the uh, influence of alcohol. May we experience being under the influence of the spirit today, this week, and the rest of this year. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.